Well, as I uh, mentioned a minute ago, and you probably know, we are going to start uh, in a new series tonight. We're going to start uh, in the book of Zechariah. So Zechariah, uh, if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there. If you want to use a pew Bible, um, Zechariah begins in our pew Bibles on page 1008. 1008. Probably the easiest way to find it is to go to Matthew. If you don't know where it is, if you don't have the number, but go to Matthew and just go back past Malachi and then you'll be in Zechariah. So Zechariah we'll be looking at. And again, in our pew Bibles, this begins on page 1008. And tonight, we're going to be doing a lot of just introduction and background. There is a lot of introduction and background for Zechariah that helps to, uh, will help us to get a, a handle on or somewhat of, of what is going on in the book to be oriented uh, to the, the context in which uh, this book was written and, and kind of what Zechariah is talking about or what God is saying through him. Um, and then, uh, but we will be looking tonight at the first six verses of the book uh, and a call to repentance, a call to return uh, to the Lord. And uh, I'll use this quote several times probably tonight, but uh, from Martin Luther when he talks about repentance, Martin Luther, the, the German reformer, and talking about when Jesus said to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that when Jesus said to repent, he meant for that to be something that we continue to do. Our, our entire lives, is to continually turn back to the Lord. Turn, we get off course, we turn back to the Lord. And that is what we're going to see tonight in Zechariah in the first six verses. So give your attention now to the reading of God's word in Zechariah chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Iddo saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore, say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. As far as the reading of God's Holy Word, would he write its truths on our hearts and minds? And let's go to him one more time and ask for his blessing on this time. Lord, again, uh, we pray that you would open our hearts, Lord, that you would work in us, that we'd be like the Thessalonians, Lord, who receive your word, not as the word of men, uh, though it was written by men, Lord, but we'd receive it for what it really is, the word of God. Uh, this was written down probably by Zechariah the prophet, Lord, but it was uh, by you that it was written down and comes to us. So would your spirit attend to your word in our hearts and uh, would you uh, help us to be built up by it? We pray in Christ's name. 
Amen. Well, it's been a, a little over three years now since uh, Becky and James and I have been here in Dillon, and when uh, Matt and I were talking and, and he decided that he wanted to go to Zechariah uh, for our new series, I started, started to think that in these last three years we've gone through the book of Daniel, and we just went through First and Second Thessalonians, and I believe the men's Sunday school class is going through Ezekiel, and now we're going to be going through Zechariah. So I'm, I'm waiting for Matt to uh, stop kind of beating around the bush here and just hurry up and say that he wants to go through the book of Revelation, because we're going through all these books, if you know them, have uh, a lot of characteristics, in particular uh, apocalyptic uh, literature in them, as well as uh, teaching on eschatology. But again, I'm uh, a big fan. I like the book of Zechariah very much. I think there's much benefit for the church. And uh, I, I think that these books, Daniel, Zechariah, and so forth, are books that uh, are often neglected because they can have imagery, and they're not the type of writing that we sometimes uh, find, like in Paul's writings, or obviously the Gospels and so forth, with, which might be a little more straightforward. Uh, they're written in a certain fashion, uh, with a lot of, as I said, imagery and so forth. But there are great things uh, for us to learn from Zechariah and Daniel and Ezekiel. And the fact that there are a few places uh, that are very difficult, admittedly, to, to totally discern what is going on, should not keep us from reading particularly the 95% of the book that is very clear. And we'll find out as we go through Zechariah, and we won't be going through one tonight, but we'll be going through Zechariah's night visions after tonight, uh, that he will have these visions that apparently he had in, in one single evening. And, uh, but as I've heard before, as interpreting the Bible and really any book, oftentimes the best thing to do to really understand what the author means is just to keep reading. And oftentimes they'll clarify uh, what they were saying. Uh, so in Zechariah, we're going to find that as well, that almost every time he has a vision, there's an angel who will show up and explain the vision to him. So again, uh, Zechariah is a, a book that's, uh, some, that's oftentimes seen as kind of one of those strange books we kind of stay away from, and, and it shouldn't be. And again, as I was saying, God uses a different form of really communication to us in Zechariah that we're going to see uh, starting next week, and this apocalyptic imagery that we see in Daniel, and of course, as I mentioned, as you get to the book of Revelation, if you know these books, Ezekiel and, and Daniel and Zechariah, as you get to Revelation, you start to realize hey, John's not just making up all this stuff, he's really quoting the Old Testament and a lot of these places and things from the Old Testament. But he uses these kind of word pictures and, and visions that are given to Zechariah. And God did not give us these books so that we could be confused and not understand them. That's one of my uh, things that I find so strange with the book of Revelation. It's a book that is supposed to reveal something. Uh, to unveil something, and yet it, it remains a book that we're oftentimes afraid of, of reading, and Zechariah is a similar way. But it's not used to hide things, but to show them to us uh, in order that we'd understand them better in a different way. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson, in speaking about this, and speaking about Zechariah in particular, and speaking of these images and so forth that God showed to Zechariah, he did have these visions, 
uh, says that God did this to help us to grasp not only intellectually, so not only when we read Paul and we kind of understand an argument, uh, oftentimes used in, in, with legal terminology, but not only intellectually to comprehend or grasp something, but aesthetically and visually and even emotionally that we'd understand and grasp the Word of God that's contained here in the Scripture. So it is, again, a different style of, of writing uh, that we're going to see in these visions, but it's one uh, where God intends us to understand and, and to respond. Uh, he's communicating to us uh, that we can even, in a sense, see in these visions uh, God's message to us. <clears throat> and what we're going to see in the book of Zechariah, to, Zechariah is the necessity of a heartfelt, genuine repentance toward God and not merely an outward conformity to, uh, to his ways. We need a heartfelt repentance, and we'll see uh, God through Zechariah calling his people, and even tonight to call them to return to him. And really what we're going to see over and over again in these eight visions that Zechariah has, uh, we get a little sneak preview of in these first six verses. And it's really a call to repentance and a promise of restoration. Uh, it's a call for God's people, or for anybody really, to turn to God, to return or turn to God, and God's promise of restoration, God's promise of blessing when we turn to him. So again, uh, this is what we will see over and over again here, and this is a much-needed call to us today, uh, 2,500 2500 years later after Zechariah as well. So again, so for some background here uh, for the book of Zechariah, and it's, you know, it's interesting that in the morning we're going through Nehemiah, uh, which is a very similar time period. Uh, Zechariah really uh, is at the same time period as Ezra, if you know the book of Ezra, uh, which Nehemiah and Ezra are really kind of one book that it's been put together into two, or I'm sorry, separated. But uh, as I sort of mentioned this morning, the, the people, the Jews, had been sent out of the land due to their unfaithfulness. And this happened in history, in time, by the Babylonian Empire coming in to the land and ultimately destroying uh, the temple and tearing down the walls and taking them into exile in 586 B.C. So 586 B.C., there are stages to this, but ultimately when the temple was destroyed and the people were finally taken away was in the year 586. And we need to remember, again, that God had made a covenant with his people, that when he was at Sinai, he made a covenant with them after he had brought them out of Egypt and rescued them, and he's going to bring them back to the, the land he had promised to Abraham and to his descendants to give to them. As you go to Deuteronomy chapter 28, it's a very important chapter in the Bible for us to understand. Uh, if you ever want to just read a little bit of Deuteronomy, go to chapter 28, and you'll see the stipulations of the covenant that God is making with his people. And it's very important to remember that God has already rescued these people that he's speaking to, the Jews, he's, the Hebrews, he's rescued them out of Egypt, brought them to himself. They are his people, all right? And, but in being his people, and now as a nation, he is going to take them into the promised land, 
And when they're there, he does give them conditional uh, promises in staying in the land based on their obedience to his word and to his commands. And the first 14 verses of Deuteronomy 28 talk about what he will do for the nation uh, if they're obedient to him. If they listen to him, what uh, will befall them? In fact, uh, in Deuteronomy 28, starting in verse 1, uh, God says this to the people, If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God, Yahweh your God, will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, if you obey the voice of of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. And he continues on for another six verses, about double this length, uh, to talk about all the blessings that the people would have for their continued observance of God's statutes and rules, and, and oftentimes it's in terms of fertility of, of them themselves, that they'd have all these offspring and children, and as well as uh, their food and, and prosperity in terms of money, uh, plentiful harvest, they'd have the rains in their time, uh, just a time of plenty, things would be great. It'd be a time of, of high cotton in Israel. Uh, they'd be doing great. Uh, if they kept his word. But uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, of course, continues on, and it continues on for over 50 verses about what will happen if the people are not obedient to God's word. Uh, If they do not follow God and are not obedient to his word, God doesn't just say, I'm going to bless you anyways. Now again, it's crucial and vitally important that you understand just like the Ten Commandments, that when God gives these commandments, he is not saying, do these things and you might be saved, you might become my people. He is speaking to people he has already rescued and telling them how to live, and in particular here uh, with the nation of Israel in the Promised Land. But he does continue on, and through verses 15 through 68, he can, that's the whole rest of that chapter, he continues to go on, about the curses that will come upon them for their disobedience. And if you're good at math, you might recognize that this is about four times as long as the promises that he said that he would pour upon them for their obedience. There are curses that are warned, or I should say promised, or threatened as well. And what they are is basically a reversal of the promises that he blesses. He promised before, you obey, you will have abundant crops. You obey, you will have children. Your women will bear children. Uh, You will have rain and so forth. Well, now he says, if you disobey, uh, your abundant crops are going to stop. No more abundant crops. The rain is going to stop. You're going to see drought. Uh, You're going to see blight. Uh, Where before he talked about that there would be no famine or disease. He now says that these things will come upon you. Instead of security and victory over their enemies, uh, they will no longer have this. Instead of them as a weaker people in terms of physically being able to run off stronger foreign nations, now they'll be overtaken by weaker nations. 
uh, because God's blessing is no longer upon them, but his, his curse. Uh, they would no longer be the envy of the nations around them, but they'd be a byword and a curse. And if you really wanted to be ugly with somebody, you'd tell them that you wish they'd become like those people over in the land of, of Israel became. Uh, because they'd be known, it would be something that people would cringe when they'd hear about what the Lord had done to them because of their unfaithfulness. And of course, again, we just went through the lives of Elijah and Elisha. And in, of course, the lives of Elijah and Elisha, we see men who God had raised up to do this exact thing that Zechariah is doing, to come and tell the people, you are being unfaithful to the covenant which you swore to, and now all these curses are going to come upon you. Remember, God told Elijah, and Elisha did pray, and it stopped raining. Of course, God is sovereign. He is the one who caused it to stop raining, but this is part of the curse in hopes that the people would not just be cursed, but the people would realize, I'm in disobedience. We need to turn and turn back to the Lord. But of course, Elijah and Elisha were generally... Uh, were generally disliked by the people and, and run off. You might remember Elijah was called by wicked Ahab as the troubler of Israel because he came back to the, that, that time prosperous Israel and told them, you need to repent. And he was referred to as the troubler of Israel. He was actually the messenger from God. But in God's grace, as I said with Elijah and Elisha, uh, God raises up prophets like Elijah and Elisha. And now we're going to see with Zechariah, another prophet who God has raised up, as R.C. Sproul used to like to say, they're covenant prosecutors, kind of like Samuel back there. They're a lawyer really saying, this is the agreement that you agreed to, and these are the promised curses that are going on, and the reason they're going on is because you're being unfaithful here, 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 all the things that I've already told you that if you do are going to happen, that is why this is happening. And they'd come and they'd also give a call, though, for the people to repent or return and that God would be gracious to them. And as we were just praying as well, we need to remember that our God is a gracious God. Uh, Even these warnings from the prophets are due to God's grace. He doesn't need to send people to come and warn and say, you're in trouble, you need to turn around. But it's still because of his grace. And as we'll see even in Zechariah, as we continue to see as they're still living in sin, uh, God still promises that he'll be gracious to them and turn to them. As we'll see in a minute, as they're sent out into Babylon, God was also merciful that even though he sent them out, he wouldn't do it forever. He would bring them back. So again, we see that the people are called uh, to return to the Lord. Now in Zechariah, uh, this has already happened. Just like we talked about in Nehemiah, the people are, have been sent to Babylon, and the people have been brought back after 70 years to Israel. Now you may or may not know this, but one of the sad things is the people, the Jews, uh, ended up becoming quite comfortable in Babylon. And a very small minority of the people actually returned to the Promised Land. Uh, There's a decree from the king for whoever wanted to go, uh, to go back to the land. And the majority of people decided Babylon and Persia, this this is a lot nicer. And from a worldly perspective, they were a lot nicer. They had security, they had way more money, 
They had way more advances in terms of culture and other things, and, and the call was to go back to Israel and to rebuild the ruins. But that's where God had promised that he would be. That's where God had promised Abram, leave your people in Ur, and at that time really one of the big cultural centers of the world uh, in Mesopotamia, and go to this land that's in the desert, kind of in the middle of nowhere. Uh, but Abram understood by God's grace that God was calling him to be his. That's where God was, and he realized that God was far superior to anything, any material thing that could ever be promised to anybody. That's why Abram went. I heard, kind of in a tangent, but I heard a, a Baptist preacher, Vody Balcom, the other night, uh, speaking about heaven. And he was talking about, again, sort of material things, and he was talking about streets of gold and so forth, and uh, it was just a little clip that I saw, but he was saying, you know, if you're really upset, if somebody's upset uh, that, in, that in glory, if there are not literal streets of gold, and that's what's going to get you upset, uh, he said, you don't need to worry too much because you're probably not going there. Uh, if, if when you think of having the streets of gold and pearly gates, those things are actually what get you real excited as opposed to God being there, uh, there's a problem. And this is what, again, Zechariah and the prophets are calling God's people to do, to stop being obsessed and making idols out of the things of this world and instead turn to God uh, in a heartfelt uh, repentance uh, to turn back to him. So again, uh, Zechariah, this particular book is written, it's been 18 years uh, since the people have come back and the people start out strong. Uh, in Ezra, we read about this. The people start out and they start to rebuild the temple as God had told them to do. And uh, you may remember, though, they face some opposition after they, they pour the foundation for the temple and the peoples around them uh, start to persecute them, start to question what they're doing. And God's people stop building the temple. And now Zechariah and his really contemporary and, and partner, uh, Haggai, the prophet, which is the book right before this. If you ever get some free time and you don't need much, Haggai's very short. But Haggai and Zechariah work together. God raises both of them up, both prophets in Israel who've come back from, the, from Babylon, from captivity, and God raises them up to start preaching. He stirs them up to start encouraging the people to repent God's people to repent and to get back to what God had called them to do, and that's to rebuild the temple, uh, to stop giving in to these small threats from the people and the fact that they're no longer worrying about these threats. They're, they're actually quite content now. And Zech I'm sorry, Haggai actually talks about this. In fact, if you have your Bible, just turn over two pages to Haggai chapter 1, and you'll see that Haggai has this charge against them as well. Remember, as I just said, Haggai and Zechariah are both preaching at the same time, and they're preaching for the people to repent, and Haggai will focus on their getting back to uh, looking at God's things instead of their own. We see here in Haggai, in chapter 1, it's on page 1005, Haggai, we're going to see at the same time, it says, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Then right here in verse 2, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. 
Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while, the house, while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. And then verse 7 again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. This is very similar to the message of Zechariah. We, you were brought back, and you were brought back to rebuild the city. You faced a little bit of persecution, and now you are more than happy after these 18 years in rebuilding your houses and forgetting about what God brought you back here for in the first place. And he's pointing them to the fact that these curses are starting to happen again. You're starting not to be able to have the harvests that you once had. You're starting to eat and drink but never have you filled these curses. You're starting to clothe yourselves but be cold. And uh, again, these are the curses that God, that through Haggai and Zechariah, is telling them to turn from. So again, uh, this is what Martin Luther said. And again, for us, uh, this remembering of repentance. Repentance is not a bad word. It is not something that we should hear and say, that's what God does to keep us away from the good things. No. Repentance is turning from that which is killing you to that which is better. A God is always better than whatever thing has caught our attention that we don't want to let go of. So it's a call to repentance. So very, very briefly, I promise you, uh, we're just going to look at three things very briefly. The first is a promise in Zechariah chapter 1. And the promise is of returning to God and that he will return to us. We see this in the first three verses. Again, the timing is two months later than Haggai. It's in the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo. So we can, again, the reason they put these dates and everything, why they're important, the month and time of the year and the kings, is because this is actual history. This is not an Aesop fable, once upon a time, you know, this happened. No, this thing, this happened at this time. God spoke through this man, and it's two months after Haggai started preaching, and it's in the fall. We aren't totally sure if it's September, October, maybe it's October, November, I can't remember, Uh, but it's in the fall, and that is when uh, Zechariah, God stirs up to start preaching as well, and he preaches, if you look uh, in verse 3, when he says that he's, after he said he was angry at their fathers, verse 3, he's to tell the people, that God says, return to me, and I will return to you. Again, this promise of restoration if the people return. So this promise, and this is a a promise for us as well. Uh, God always promised in the Old Testament and everywhere we see, when the people have gone far away from him, he says, even in a strange land, if you repent and you acknowledge what you've done and you turn to me, I will be gracious to you. I will bring you back to myself. Again, Martin Luther, as I mentioned before, he loved to point out the prodigal son. That was one of his favorite parables because of the father and the prodigal son who's waiting for the prodigal to turn and come back to him. He doesn't have his arms crossed. I don't care about him. He's waiting for him to come back so he can run to him, embrace him, and bring him back into the family. That is our God, his love. And it's a promise to us as well today. 
when we look at the book of Revelation. We might think this is Old Testament stuff. We look at the book of Revelation and the, the, the messages that are sent to the seven churches in Asia Minor in the first couple chapters of the book. And when Jesus, the Lord Christ, does rebuke them, five of the seven churches for something going on with them, he still gives them a promise that they repent. So God's offer of forgiveness, of restoration, is always there. And uh, we see this promise uh, of returning to him. And then we see this example to avoid in verses 4 through 6. Where God says this, Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out, Thus says the Lord of hearts, Return from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. As I said before, Elisha, I'm sorry, Elijah came, and the king of Israel calls him the troubler of Israel. Uh, when they called for them to turn from the Lord, we, to turn back to the Lord, uh, we must not be like our forefathers. Uh, Paul, uh, James had this memory verse um, for Mrs. Brown, but uh, in Romans chapter 15, that Paul says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. And he continues on. But the Old Testament is written for us believers today uh, to be encouraged by the encouragement of the scriptures, that we might have hope. Paul said that in Romans 15 to this, this pagan mostly, but also Jewish, but church, uh, that what was written was written for our instruction, our encouragement. He also wrote to the Corinthians, a very pagan church, speaking of the people in the wilderness, speaking about numbers and, and parts of the Old Testament. He said, these things happened to them as they were judged in the wilderness for their idolatry. He says, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. Not just for the Old Testament time. He's writing to Gentiles, too. Okay, it's not just for the Jews. He's saying for us, these things were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And we see Zechariah telling the people back then the same message that Paul gives to these Gentile churches and that we have today, 2,000 years as well. Don't be like those people who heard God's word and just pushed it away and said, yeah, that's good. Let us go do whatever we want. We must have our ears open to what God has to say to us as we live in this wicked world and increasingly uh, compromising church, at least uh, oftentimes in our own country. So the context of Zechariah uh, may be, and of course is, quite a bit different than our own. I don't think anybody here is seeking to build uh, a physical temple uh, for the Lord. We're not seeking to do that. Uh, But the message is not different. The message is uh, a call that we not be complacent and just absorbed with the things of our lives and our own houses, uh, but that we are turned to doing God's will by his grace, knowing, again, that there is nothing we will ever give up uh, as a sacrifice that we're going to find out God does not bless us uh, a million times fold in his presence and his grace poured out upon us. And, of course, his mercy to all those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll start with the visions next week, but let us take heed to this word to turn to our Lord in repentance because he's a gracious God who loves us. So let's go to him in prayer. Father, we are, um, again, uh, joyful that you are a merciful, gracious God. 
Lord, we thank you that you have raised up these men who uh, you have used to call your church, call your people back to you, to turn them from their evil way, which destroys them, which they think gives them life, which is deceptive, uh, but which in the end leads to death. Lord, may we not be like the fool who goes down to the house of the the foreign woman and uh, thinks that he is going to enjoy himself, but it ends up being bitter in the end. Lord, that is what sin is. It is deceptive. May we be those who by your spirit, Lord, will turn away by faith from those things which are destructive to us. Lord, may we turn to you in whom there is life, uh, even now, Lord, uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask all these things in his name. Amen.